This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the readings for today need to be shouted from the housetops. They need to be proclaimed at the top of our lungs because they are almost impossibly good news. And they cut right to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Listen first now, a little excerpt from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's our first reading for today. Thus says the Lord, Remember not the things of the past, the things of long ago, consider not. See, I am doing something new. Christians, our God is a God of the future. Our God is a God of the new. You know that famous divine self-definition in the book of Exodus when Moses says, well, when the Israelites ask me who sent me, what should I tell them? What's your name? And God says in that lovely Hebrew, Eye asher eye, rendered sometimes as I am who I am. But scholars now say a much better rendering of that, much more accurate, is I will be who I will be. It's a future tense. God says to Moses, I am the one who is always out ahead of you, luring you to deeper life. How often in the Bible, this is the way God is depicted. The one who's ahead of us, in front of us, saying, come on. Much like a parent luring her child to take her first steps. Come on, come on. The parent ahead of the child, inviting him or her to deeper, richer life. I will be who I will be. See, I'm doing something new. That's what I'm interested in. Not the things of the past. We do not have a God who broods on the past. We do, by the way. We brood on it. But Isaiah is saying, that's not God's way. How about this clue, too? How often in the Bible, God renames people. He calls Abram, but he says, no longer are you to be called Abram. You are to be called Abraham. He calls Jacob, but then he says, your name shall not be Jacob, but rather Israel. In the New Testament, of course, Jesus calls Simon. And he says, no, your name is no longer Simon. It's now Peter. Saul, after his conversion, becomes Paul. What is it about these name changes? God is much more interested in who we will become. God is not primarily preoccupied with the present or the past, but rather with who we will become under the influence of his grace. A forward-looking God, a God of the future. Listen now as Isaiah goes on. You burden me with your sins. 
you wearied me out with your crimes. It is I, I who wipe out for my own sake your offenses. Your sins I remember no more. I know as you read those first couple lines, it sounds like this rather difficult, angry God. You burden me with your sins. You weary me out with your crimes. It sounds like a God obsessed with the past. But then, look at those next lines. It is I, I who wipe them out for my own sake. In other words, God is saying, I don't want to be preoccupied with your past. I don't want to be burdened by your sins. I am forgiving you because I am interested in the future, in who you might become. You know, I think it's a major difference between the biblical God and those old gods of the Greeks and the Romans. I know I've complained before about the number of books today that want to bring back the ancient gods and goddesses. I'm glad they're gone myself. I'm glad they've been supplanted. You read those old myths of the gods and goddesses, what do you find? You find deities that are obsessed with the past, who brood over injuries, who are very concerned with what was done to them or not done to them. This is not the God of the Bible. This is not the God of the Bible. I'm not brooding in a perpetual snit over your past sins. I am much more interested in the forgiving possibility of what you might become. Listen now to something from this magnificent second reading. Paul to the Corinthians. As God keeps his word, I declare that my word to you is not yes one minute and no the next. Jesus Christ, whom Silvanus, Timothy, and I preach to you, was not alternately yes and no. He was never anything but yes. There's another way to put it. God is the God of the future. Or God is the God who says yes. Yes. Not a God brooding on no, but a God now always open to what might come for us. We might say, doesn't Jesus say no a lot in the New Testament? Isn't Jesus critical of the scribes and Pharisees? Sure. A no to a no is a yes. Jesus comes to liberate us for deeper life. He comes to open up this new future to us. So what does he say no to? He says no to the no of sin. Sin is a refusal to live according to God's purposes and God's desires. And so when Jesus says no to sin, he's saying no to a no, which is a yes. It's not alternately yes and no with him. It's always yes, 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 more, deeper life. That's what our God is interested in. That's the God revealed in Jesus Christ. What's the gospel for today? This great story from the Gospel of Mark of the cure of the paralyzed man. The details, of course, we know. They're magnificent. There's Jesus in this crowded courtyard, Peter's house. So many people, they can't bring this paralyzed man to him, so they open a hole in the roof 
and they lower him down before the Lord. And we can imagine St. Peter's sputtering protests. As usual, these gospel stories can be read at many levels. Does Jesus address himself to the physical problem of this man's paralysis? Yes, indeed. Jesus cures physically. But the church fathers remind us that this story can also be read at the spiritual level. What does obsession with past sin do to us? Christians, it paralyzes us. Why is God opposed to this obsession with the past? Because it renders us unable to move. Oh, what I did all those years ago, I can never be forgiven for that. I will never get over those terrible crimes I committed. What I said to my parents, what I did to my kids, what I forgot to realize in my own life, and I brood over it to such a degree that I become finally paralyzed, unable to move. What's Jesus' first word in this story as this paralyzed man is brought before him? He doesn't say first, pick up your mat and walk. What he says first is, my son, your sins are forgiven you. This is the incarnation of the same God who spoke through the prophet Isaiah. I am doing something new. I'm not brooding on the past. My son, your sins are forgiven. Why does God forgive our sins? Because he wants us alive. He wants us moving. He wants us in action, realizing what we can be. My son, your sins are forgiven. It's a way of saying, my son, please don't be paralyzed by sins that you undoubtedly worry about far more than God does. Can I repeat that, Christians? Are these readings telling us we are probably far more obsessed with our sins than God is? Walk. Be free. Be alive. After saying, my son, your sins are forgiven, then he says, pick up your mat and walk. Good. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. First comes the forgiveness of sins, which is then a liberating power in us. I can now live for the future. See, I'm doing something new. I'm the God of the future, not the past. You know what comes to my mind whenever I read this story? One of my favorite movies, the movie The Mission. If you haven't seen The Mission, please go rent it. It's a great spiritual movie. There's a character in the movie named Mendoza. He's played by Robert De Niro. Mendoza is a terrible man. He's a slave trader, so his daily work is to kidnap innocent people, to rip them away from home and family, to put them in shackles, and then condemn them to a life of hard labor. He's a dreadful man. And in the process, bribery, extortion, murder, whatever it takes to make this happen, as the movie opens up, there's a terrible scene as Mendoza, who's a man of great passion, kills his brother in a fit of jealousy, runs him through with his sword. It's as though at that point, 
all the evil of his life closes in on him. In the next scene, he's sitting in a prison cell, immobile, sitting, immobilized, not speaking, not moving, as though the terrible weight of sin has finally closed in on him. At this point, the character played by Jeremy Irons, a Jesuit priest, comes into this cell. He begins to speak a word of God's love and of God's forgiveness. At first, Mendoza just puts him off. There's no time for him. Get lost. Get out. But as he listens, he realizes the truth and the power of God's forgiving word. He accompanies the priest back to his mission. He agrees to carry behind him a package that, that contains the helmets and swords and guns, all the accoutrement of his past life. And he drags it behind him. Mind you, not as a punishment so much, as a reminder of what sin had done to him, this terrible weight. He carries it, he drags it, finally drags it up the mountain to the mission. And when he arrives there, it's cut loose. And then the tears flood down. And then the joy comes over his face. And he commences that moment a new life. As the movie progresses, we see that he becomes a Jesuit, enters into this new life as a follower of Christ. See, I'm doing something new. I know the past has shackled you. I know the past is like a terrible burden that paralyzes you. But I say, my son, your sins are forgiven. I'm not brooding on the past. Rather, I'm opening you to this future through my grace. That's the wonderfully good news, the impossibly good news today. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360. Word on Fire is brought to you in part by Catholic Cemeteries. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago Cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.